Well, hey, welcome everybody to our February 2022 meeting of the uh, Google Educator Group of Ohio. We're so happy to have you here with us today. Uh, this is a uh, usually monthly meeting uh, where we look at everything new in Google Workspace from the last month or so, share Google tips and tricks, and answer questions related to using Google tools in school. Uh, hi, my name is Eric Kurtz, and I'm a tech integration specialist up at the Stark Portage Area Computer Consortium, or SPARC for short. Uh, we're an information technology center serving schools in Northeast Ohio. Um, I am joined, as always, by Stephanie. Stephanie, let you introduce yourself. Hey everyone, I'm Stephanie Howe. I'm an instructional technology coach in Pickerington Local School District and excited to be here and learning with everyone. So thanks for hopping in the chat. There's a lot of people here today. Um, so hopefully we can also grow our community. And so please say hi in the chat and we are excited to connect with you. That is great. Now, although Stephanie and I are both from Ohio, and this is GEG Ohio, uh, we do welcome people from anywhere. You do not have to be in Ohio to take part in this. Uh, as long as you've got an interest in uh, using Google tools in schools, uh, that's what we're here for. Some of the stuff we're going to be sharing, you know, might be more Ohio-centric now and then, like conferences and things like that. But we welcome everybody, and we're all better because you guys are here with us. So thank you. Uh, as always, all the resources for today's meeting can be found in our Google Doc. Uh, we have a uh, editable agenda that you can add to. Um, that The easiest way to find that is through the GEG Ohio site, although I did drop the link in the chat and I'll do it again. Let me go ahead and I'll, I will drop that link into the chat. I'm doing that right now in case anybody didn't get it earlier. There it is. Uh, but if you head out to uh, bit.ly slash GEG Ohio, uh, that's our website. You can find the agenda there. Uh, just head out to bit.ly slash GEG Ohio. When you get there, you'll see a link for the monthly meetings. And if you click on the monthly meetings link, uh, you will then get a spot where there is a... Uh, um, a table of uh, dates and, and links. Uh, you can see the ones we've had so far this year. Here's today's meeting, February 24th. And if you look across, you'll see the link for the agenda. So that will get you into that document. And you can always check out previous months. There's a lot of great content. If you missed some of the earlier ones, those agendas are there in the recorded videos. Uh, and this course live video will become a recorded video afterwards. And uh, just as a sneak peek, next month, uh, March 31st uh, is our date. I always try to uh, do this at the end of the month, typically on a Thursday, so happens to be March 31st for next month. But anyway, this document, this agenda document, is editable. And so we encourage you to please add stuff to this. Uh, some good spots where you might want to add some things would be the upcoming events. If you're aware of some conferences or webinars or uh, PD events that people should know about, please add those in there. That would be a great place. Another good spot to add things in is the section called Show and Tell. So I've got a spot where I share and so does Stephanie, but we've got a spot further down that says GEG Community Show and Tell. Hey, if you've got something neat to share with the group, this is a great place to put it. If you've written a blog post or recorded a video or come across a really awesome extension or just have some resource you want to share, put that in there and we really appreciate it. And of course, at the very bottom is the Q&A section. So if you've got any questions for the group, 
please put those in there. And then if you've got answers, do that as well. <laughs> so feel free to answer any of the questions that people have posted in there. Uh, you can also, of course, communicate through the chat. As Stephanie mentioned, we encourage you to uh, chat with us in the YouTube uh, chat, uh, ask questions and share resources there as well. All right. With all of that said, let's get going into the meeting. Uh, so we've already done our introductions. That's great. Um, and then if we go down a little bit further, let's see. Uh, we mentioned um, the link to the GEG website. What we didn't mention, um, as I try to rem uh, remind you each month to do, is to sign in to get your certificate of attendance. So in the important links section highlighted in green, you should see a, uh, a link that goes out to a Google form. Uh, when you get a moment, please uh, please fill that out. Um, it will allow us to uh, send you a certificate of attendance afterwards. Um, and then we also report the numbers to Google. We don't send in your names or emails or anything like that. That's just for us so we can generate those certificates, but it allows us to report to them how many people attended the meetings. And that's something that uh, Google asks us to do for these meetings. So thank you for taking the time to do that. Uh, we'll also mention in the next section here about group updates, just a reminder to stay uh, plugged in in between the meetings by joining our Google group. Um, it's an email distribution group for GEG Ohio. We currently have a little over 1,200 members in that group. Uh, there's directions here on how you can uh, subscribe to that group if you haven't. It's a great place to ask questions and share resources and stay in the loop uh, in between our meetings. There's also a Facebook group if you prefer that or want to do both. Uh, that's another great way to stay connected in between our meetings. Next up, we're going to talk about some upcoming events. And I said, again, this is a part that's probably a little bit more Ohio-centric, although some of the stuff is virtual. Uh, so uh, first, I'll mention a couple of these. First one, I'll definitely uh, mention because that's one I put in there. Uh, so I'm going to be doing a, a webinar next month, uh, March 8th, Tuesday, March 8th, uh, from 3.30 to 4.30 um, on Moat. Uh, Moat is a, you know, a great extension. I'm sure many of you are familiar with it. I, I doubt I'm telling you something that, that you're not familiar with. Uh, but if you if you haven't seen Moat before, uh, it's a great tool that allows you and your students to record your voice and insert your voice into pretty much anything: docs, slides, uh, forms, Google Classroom, you know, on and on down the line. And so we'll be diving into that tool and seeing how you and your students can use that. So here's the link that will be live um, that day, but also here's a link to add it to your calendar just so you don't forget <laughs> and you can come and join us. There's no registration to sign up for it. Just uh, be be there uh, on uh, uh, Tuesday, March eighth at three thirty, just like we do with these sort of meetings. I'll be I'll be live streaming that on my YouTube channel there. A um, couple other things to mention in upcoming events: uh, the Teach with Chrome series is a, a series of. 30-minute webinars that Google is running in February and March. Uh, they do this periodically, um, you know, every twice a year or so, they'll have a series of webinars that they run. This is their latest. If you follow that resource link, you can see uh, a list of when those are going to be. Uh, they have started, so it looks like we just had uh, one uh, yesterday and the day before, um, but they're going to be going uh, throughout March. And the um, if you miss them, you know, they are recorded just like we record ours. They'll record these as well. So you can catch them later. Uh, but at, at the least, if you come here and, and you register, you'll get, uh, you'll get 
emails that will that will remind you of these uh, sessions as they come up. So it uh, looks like a, a pretty big focus on uh, Chromebooks and um, and using the uh, Chrome uh, browser and Chrome operating system uh, in schools. Other than that, um, let's see, um, Neotech right around the corner. Stephanie, are you going to be doing uh, anything for Neotech this year? I am going to be part of it virtually, um, so okay. I will not be there in person. Are you going to be there in person, Eric? I am going to be there in person. I will be there on the 15th, um, I believe. That's the... Um, yeah, I believe I believe it's the fifteenth. I'd have to have to double check here myself. Uh, uh, let me take a quick look here and remind myself. I believe uh, yes, that's the Tuesday. Yeah, so I'm going to be there on the fifteenth, um, and I'll be doing three sessions in person in the afternoon, uh, noon, one, and two o'clock session. Uh, but. This is a, a, a hybrid event where there's going to be some live in-person sessions, but there's also going to be um, the uh, the streaming sessions, um, and they'll be recorded as well. So what are you going to be presenting on, Stephanie? Um, I am doing a new session that I've never done, Scaffolding Blended Learning. Um, it's kind awesome. of focused on the executive functioning skills, which yeah. I kind of feel like a lot of our students are struggling with this year, coming back from COVID, where... They didn't have maybe an adult that was like on them to help them with those executive functioning skills. So teaching the kids how to have different strategies in order to learn in a new way. <laughs> That's wonderful. Um, and you'll be doing, do you know, is it like a, a live stream that people can participate yep. in it or is it a pre-recorded one? I already recorded it and I already, already recorded it. Yeah. Dan has <sighs> it. Um, and Dan put some information too in the chat. What are you presenting, Eric? Um, so if I pop over to my blog, I think I put it on there. That'd be the easy way for me to remember it. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> I know so you caught my... me off guard. I was like, wait, which one am I doing? <laughs> yeah, I know. Trust me. <laughs> I don't always know either. So uh, yes, yeah, so for my Neotech sessions, I'll be doing making and taking tours with Google Earth. I'll be doing Google tools to support all learners. And I'll be doing analyzing student data with Google Sheets. This is a, a newer one that I've been doing where, because um, I do love Google Sheets and I do a session a lot of times on activities with Google Sheets for students. That, that's not what this is. This is more for you as an educator, learning some key skills in Google Sheets to help you analyze data. So we talk about sorting and filtering and formulas and spark lines and charts and graphs, conditional formatting, pivot tables, things like that. And we work through some sample student data to have a better comfort level with Google Sheets. So uh, those are the three that I'll be doing uh, that day. And it's free, 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 free. So, hey, fantastic. Um, I would imagine, you know, uh, that would be something even for people that are not local, they'd be able to take advantage of because of the virtual aspect of it. So good deal. Um, other than that, uh, we did get some uh, more info about the ITIP Ohio Google Summit. Uh, that is uh, May 4th and 5th in person at Kalahari, and they're doing a virtual uh, element as well. Uh, registration is open for that. Stephanie, do you know if you'll be plugged into that one too? Yeah, I'm doing one session for ITIP, um, Bite Size PD, and it, I'm actually going to go in person. So hopefully yeah. I see a lot of people um, because I've definitely missed those in-person yes. conferences. Oh, and it looks like Dan's adding grad credit will be available. So awesome. make sure you sign up for Neotech. Are you going to ITIP? 
Yeah, yeah, I, I will be as well. And um, I'm doing a, a number of sessions for that. I'll have to, I don't think I have not done a blog post on that one yet. Uh, so I believe I'm going to be doing um, uh, several new sessions as well. Um, so I'll be doing Google Jamboard for teaching and learning. That's a newer session. I'm going to be doing one called Chromebooks Can Do That. Um, which is basically, hey, we've all got Chromebooks, but are we actually using them to their fullest potential? So we're going to look at lesser known features of Chromebooks and maybe some of the hidden tips and tricks and just, you know, all the awesome things you can do with a Chromebook that maybe you didn't even realize. Um, doing a session, uh, similar uh, session about YouTube, uh, a, uh, you, a you can do that in YouTube type of a session where we're going to run through similar things, like lots and lots of lesser known things, like, you know, instead of just going on YouTube and hit and play like we all do, <laughs> which is what I do as well, uh, all the really neat hidden uh, features and tools and uh, tips and tricks inside of making the most out of YouTube. I'm going to do one on Google Classroom, but focusing on the mobile features, which I just still think it's so sad that they get overlooked so much. There's amazing tools built amazing features built into the mobile version of classroom and uh, i think every student and every teacher should be using both the web version and the mobile version and we're going to look at all the awesome things you can do on the mobile version that you can't otherwise and i'll be doing a uh, a longtime favorite my my beyond the slideshow session about just creative ways to use google slides uh, in school um so yeah so a lot of neat ones and i really do look forward to seeing people in person that is going to be Great. Maybe we should do a meetup. Yeah, that's what we should. We, we haven't had a GEG meetup in a long time in person, but uh, awesome. Well, good, good, good. Um, uh, and then uh, last thing in the upcoming events, uh, just heads up, we still are tentatively holding the date of August 5th for our Spark Tech Conference. Um, it was virtual last year. Uh, at the very least, it will be virtual again. This year, we're just trying to see if, you know, if there's any possibility of something that would be more hybrid. My, my money is on. Probably we're going to be doing this as a virtual conference this year. There's still a lot of, you know, a lot of things that, uh, you know, we have to kind of account for. And But we do have a survey to say we'd love to hear your opinion. If, if you'd like to share your thoughts on that as we try to uh, get that organized to kick off the new school year with the Spark Conference. I think that's it for upcoming events. Is there anything else you wanted to add to any of that, Stephanie? I think that was mostly it. I know a lot of people are looking forward to Neotech and ITIP being in person, um, yes. but I love that they're still having that virtual aspect. Right. Because uh, I know we have a lot of people that join that aren't in Ohio, and yeah. so you're able to sign up. So make sure you do so. Wonderful. Well, guys, if you have anything else to add, please feel free to put things into the upcoming events. Um, if there's other things we are unaware of that uh, folks should take advantage of. Well, let's go ahead and jump into one of the main portions of our meeting, which is what's new in Google Workspace. Uh, each month, Stephanie and I try to keep our eyes out for any news or updates, new releases, uh, blog posts from Google about uh, updates they've made with the idea of trying to just make this a one-stop shop for you. You come here and you can get up to date on everything new. So you're not caught off guard when suddenly, you know, Gmail looks different <laughs> like it's going to for a lot of people really soon here. You know, that's one of the updates, you know, so that we're not caught off guard by these things. And you can let your staff know, the students in your school know, and you yourself can be aware of uh, what's new and upcoming. So um, we have 
selected some of the updates to chat about. Those are the ones we highlight or we, we made in bold. The ones that we didn't um, certainly are valuable. We would encourage you to check them out, but uh, there's a few that we've picked in particular to chat about here. Um, so we're just going to jump back and forth uh, talking about these. And um, if you guys have anything to add, please do. If you've got questions, please let us know. And if we skip over something that you did care about, let us know that too. <laughs> so uh, to start off with, um, first one in here is an update to originality reports. And uh, that is that they are now also able to be used for Google Slides files and not just Google Docs. So if you've used originality reports in the past, and here, let's see if we can open up this image in a new tab so it's a little bit easier to see. There we go. If you've used originality reports in the past, these are the plagiarism prevention it's a plagiarism prevention tool in Google Classroom. The idea being that if a student has submitted, you know, um, a report or an essay and, and you want to check it to see, you know, was it copied from somewhere else? Uh, originality reports will do that. It'll take the document the student has submitted. It will compare it against you know, you know, billions of web pages out there, and it'll come back and let you know, hey, this paragraph, this sentence, you know, this area is a direct quote, and you know, and it's something that if it wasn't properly cited would be plagiarism. Well, the idea is that students can do this, and so can you. It's not just a gotcha thing. It's something that a student can run uh, or the originality reports on their own work. Well, up until now, this has been limited to Google Documents files, but as you can see here in the uh, little animated GIF, um, now, if the um, project isn't a document, what if it's a slideshow? What if that's what the students have submitted? Well, guess what? Good deal. We can now run originality reports on slideshows as well. And we'll go through all the content in the slideshow and do that same comparison. Now, as always, this is a tool that has a little bit of a difference between the free version and the paid version of Google Workspace. In the free version, you are limited to running an originality report on um, five different assignments within a class. So uh, it could be, you know, obviously every student within those assignments. So there's no limit on that, but just five particular assignments that you would use um, in that class to hook to originality reports. Um, the paid version of, of Google Google Workspace, though, does not have that limitation. You can run it on as many assignments as you want. But happy to see the expansion for that into Google Slides. So pretty nifty there. All right. What do we have up here next, Stephanie? The next thing is importing watermarks onto your Google Docs. And so this feature, you're able, I think you were able to do this on Microsoft. Now I don't use Microsoft that often, but before you could add this on Microsoft. So now you can do it in your Google Docs. And you can see in the GIF that they're writing draft and then all you have to hit is done and it will go right on your document. So this is really nice for people when they know, hey, this is just a draft. We just need to make edits so they don't get compared with the draft version and the final version if they had those two side by side. Um, you can just kind of help people again, kind of make those edits and decide, okay, what is next? So again, you go to insert watermark, you can even add an image yeah. as the background. Um, I've seen people do draft and then I've also seen confidentiality or confidential. Yeah. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah. This is, 
you're, you're, you're so right about this being an issue that uh, Microsoft Word was able to do this and Docs wasn't. I'm like you, though. I just I have nothing against Word. I think, you know, Microsoft Office is a phenomenal suite. I just don't use it because I live in the Google world. But I do remember that being one of those discrepancies, being one of those things that's like if you had a watermark and you imported it from, you know, Microsoft Word and converted it into Docs you know, it wouldn't come with it and it wasn't something we could do. So that's great that we can do watermarks for those who care about that. And also nice that you can edit it. I think when they first rolled this out, they had a couple of like, you could choose from some watermarks and now you can, you know, type in whatever you want for that text. So that's important that, you know, Google continues to close that gap in differences between those tools. So nice. yeah. And I like too, that you can change the transparency, like of the huh. text, um, which is really yeah, nice. I do see that. Like there, you're, you're right. And the tech, yeah. like you have more options now. I feel like. <laughs> yeah. Sweet. Thanks, Google. We appreciate it. All right. Up next, uh, I know I had mentioned it very quickly when we were doing the uh, the intro to this section about Gmail changing. And so, um, yes, uh, there's been announced that there's going to be a little facelift to Gmail, a new integrated view, they're calling it, uh, where Google Meet and chat and spaces all kind of get combined in with Gmail and a little bit of a different layout. So there's two links in here that talk about this. This is the first one, and then I'll just roll that into the other one here. Uh, that came out on the 14th where uh, Gmail had started to roll out for the new update has started to roll out for some people and they gave a little bit more details on it. Um, so the idea is, um, uh, and it looks like we do have an update here as well. It says rollout to rapid release domains has begun, scheduled releases to begin on February 28th. So it uh, looks like they may have pushed back the rollout just a little bit, but it is starting to roll out on rapid release, still coming a little bit later for the scheduled release. And so the idea is getting a facelift to uh, Gmail. So, you know, we all know what Gmail looks like, you know, now just a regular, you know, that's, that's, uh, screenshot there of it. Uh, here is a screenshot of how it's going to be looking. Um, and then in that other blog post, I think they did a little bit better job, I felt, breaking down what some of the differences were. So I'm going to pull up that other one real quick because they had a section that I thought, yeah, I thought this was kind of nice. Um, this image here, let me see, there you go, where they're kind of breaking down how it's going to be divided up. That uh, basically you're going to have instead of, cause as you know, if you look at it right now in Gmail, they actually divide up the left-hand side to have mail and chat and rooms and meet, um, on, you know, and actually see previews of them there. But instead what they're going to be doing is just having little icons on the side that as you click on them, it can, it'll then bring up those particular tools in this collapsible panel over here. Um, and again, let me see if I can find that uh, picture of it again. There we go. So here's the collapsible panel. Here's where you get to those main apps there. And then of course, you know, more, hopefully more real estate uh, that you can use for your actual messages. But as always, anytime something like this changes that can really catch people off guard, and so it's one of those things that we're wanting to, you know, get on your radar so you're aware of it and can uh, let your teachers know, let the students know that if they go in Gmail and things look a little bit different, it's all okay. <laughs> it's just part of uh, an update to the uh, layout and design, but the functionality, of course, is still all going to be there. I have not seen this yet. Has it shown up on any of your accounts yet, Stephanie? I don't have it yet, um, but I no. do know I have teachers that will probably freak out <laughs> with the change. 
Um, yeah. But I think it, it, I think it will be helpful having the chat in a area, you know, because a lot of times I use chat because it's faster to get a response or you're, it's not like an email where I need a whole yeah. subject and all of it. I just need a quick answer. Yes or no. Um, so I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it'll take, as always, it'll take a little getting used to, but, uh, you know, hopefully this new layout will be a little more efficient, uh, until I get into it and get a chance to try it myself. You know, I, I I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, but, uh, it has not rolled out. I, I you know, check each day and my Gmail has not changed. Uh, but like they said, it is something that is in the process of rolling out. Sounds like um, uh, if you're on rapid release, which my my domain is, it's could be any day now. Like it started, you know, um, uh, around the 14th or so. But for those who are on the scheduled release, it won't even start rolling out until the 28th. So you've still got a little bit of time before that might happen. So heads up. We do Be have a couple aware. questions in the chat, so I hope you're yeah. ready. Um, where is the graphic for Gmail that you showed with all the labels? Can you show so how you, to that? So um, I got a couple of different graphics in there, um, depending upon which one you're asking for. But if it's the one that had the breakdown, that was the one from February 14th. Uh, so these came, these were posted at different times. And so this one where it says Gmail's redesign is rolling out, that's the one from Chrome, uh, Chrome Unboxed, where they've got the same original pictures of here's what, you know, here's what Gmail is going to look like. But then they had this one here where they um, uh, kind of broke it apart. I think that would be useful to, you know, send that out to, to your staff. And then they also um, have a video from Google about learning about the new layout there. I have not, um, I have not watched that video yet. Um, I'm not going to actually play the whole thing right now. I'm just curious. It's a, uh, a minute and 22. Okay. I was just curious how long it was. So it's just a minute and 22. Uh, that might be a good video to send out to your staff as well, just to give them a quick overview of how this is going to look different for them. Yeah. And then there's another, um, I think more of a compliment. Uh, they said, thank you, Eric, for everything, <laughs> especially your tone. So they love your tone of your voice. Well, Hey, I'm, <laughs> I am so <laughs> glad to hear that. <laughs> I'm Thank you very much. It is it is uh, appreciated. And then Dan had a question: Is Google yeah. Chat and Google Spaces the same thing? Um, the way no. I understand it is, chat is like one-on-one -on -one conversations, where Spaces are like collaborative groups of more people. Yeah. How I kind um, of think of it, like I've got my chats between just one and teacher. But then I have like my Sydney 19, which is my Google Innovator group. And that has like 40 some people in there. Um, is that how you would I'll be honest. I, I'll be honest. I have not played with spaces. That's one of the things that I, I know it exists. I remember them rolling it out. It was not something I've dived into. So I will defer to you and I'll defer to the community of people watching now. If uh, if some of you want to chime in in the chat, if you've used spaces, if you've had a chance to play around with it, what does make it different? Um, but uh, I, I don't know. Uh, so I'd love to hear from uh, you guys if you have experimented with spaces, how that works. But I think I think what you're saying sounds like it makes a lot of sense, especially with the icon showing a group of people there, like more of a collaborative spot to have a conversation. I would imagine there is a, is it kind of like their version of Slack, you know, is it, is it that sort of an idea? 
Um, if so, ah, Leah is saying spaces are collaborative. Be aware that for a period of time, education domains weren't able to delete spaces once they were created. Ah. And Matt, hey, thanks, Matt. There's Matt. Matt Mays, my good buddy from work. Uh, so Matt saying spaces is like Slack. So, yep. Okay, there you go. Yeah, so more collaborative. Maybe you have like sixth grade teachers and they're all in a space together collaborating where that yeah. chat would just be that like, one-on-one conversation between two people. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think you can chat between a few more, but most of the time, I think it is usually two. I know you can do group chats, but it sounds like what people are saying is that spaces involves the ability to do, uh, you know, this is sharing documents, setting tasks. Yeah. More, more like Slack. So, mm -hmm. which I've never used Slack either. <laughs> so I'm just uh, saying that from my my rudimentary understanding of Slack as well. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, see, that's what happens when you're a, a, a department of one. <laughs> I don't have a lot of opportunities to, uh, to use some of those tools. So, but you awesome. use what works and that's all. <laughs> that's right. right. <laughs> awesome. Very good. Well, Hey guys, thank you everybody in the chat for chiming in. Your, uh, experience is very helpful for all of us. All right, well, let's pop back to the start of February then, since I kind of jumped up to pull those two together. And uh, what do we have here next, Stephanie? Yeah, so supporting a new line of Chromebooks. Um, so they're hoping that these will be more dur durable. Um, I don't know about you guys, but when we first got our Chromebooks, I think our repairs were a lot higher than they are now compared uh, to the different versions of the Chromebooks. So they're, they're supposed to be making them um, have a little bit more options. And then also just making them a little bit more durable for students so they don't break as easily. Very nice. And I see um, if you go, maybe I should have broken this link out separately. I don't think I did. I just linked to the blog post. But if you go into the blog post, um, just like the first, uh, second section down where it says discover more device options. Um, there is a link in there for what they're calling their Chromebook discovery page. So they have a new Chromebook discovery page where they're trying to highlight um, different Chromebooks and what might be better for teachers versus students and so forth. So if you do go into that blog post we've linked and scroll down just a hair, you'll see that Chromebook discovery page. And again, if I pull that up, uh, my pictures aren't loading there. I don't know why. Let me, there they are. Okay. And so if you get into there, you'll see they've got a section that says for in-class and remote learning. So this is what they're recommending, you know, for, for students. If you go down a little further, here's the section for educators and higher ed. So beefier, more powerful Chromebooks that uh, you might use as a teacher computer. I'm curious. Um, uh, let's throw this out to the chat, but I'll ask you as well, Stephanie. Um, do you guys have a uh, teachers using Chromebooks um, or is it just students? I know that, you know, Chromebooks in students' hands is definitely, uh, you know, a very common thing, but I've started to see some places where uh, the the teachers as well are, are getting Chromebooks. Do you guys have any like that, Stephanie? Yeah, our students have Chromebooks. Um, our teachers have MacBooks, but our parapros have Chromebooks. Okay. All um, right. Yeah. And so everybody has something different, but I'm wondering, you know, with this new model, what's going to happen? I personally like my Mac because um, I have a Pixel and I, I just prefer the Mac. Uh, I don't know why. <laughs> yeah. 
So I'm curious if anybody in the chat, if you've started to use Chromebooks for your staff, even if it's an option for them or, or you know, if that's just the way you're going, um, um, I, I'd love to hear how that experience has been because this clearly is a, a push that, that Google is, is wanting to start getting people to think about um, with um, devices that have more memory. So these are going up to 16 gigabytes of RAM. Uh, and a more powerful processor. So we're looking at, you know, um, you know, in, Intel i3s, i5s, i7s. Um, so uh, just so you know, I have not even had a chance to play with it yet, but I, I bought myself a new Chromebook because I was inspired by this. And so I did, my Chromebook is like five years old. Uh, you know, I've had it forever. Uh, and so I did get a new Chromebook. This is an Asus. Um, and it is this type of Chromebook. It's meant to be more for teachers. I haven't, even, I haven't even turned it on yet. Like it arrived earlier today. I've been, I plugged it in to charge it and didn't even get a chance to turn it on. Um, but it is, um, it's one with more memory. So it's got 16 gigs and it's got an i5 processor. And so, you know, it's more like I'm going to test this out and see could I live on that? You know, and I don't know. That's what I want to try out and say, you know, what if this was my primary computer? Because I work off of a off of a Windows laptop uh, for work and a Windows desktop here. And then I have a Chromebook, you know, which I've had like since like five years old now. And, and I've, I've, I take it with me when I'm traveling and stuff like that. But I like to I'm going to try to see, you know, can, can I can I do this? You know, uh, maybe see if I can go a couple of days and just, you know, work off the Chromebook and see what works and what doesn't and stuff like that. So I'll, I'll, I'll let you know next month how, how that experiment goes. But uh, I haven't even had a chance to turn it on yet, but excited, excited to see. Yeah. In our chat, I mean, it it's saying that a lot of people use Chromebooks, it looks like. Um for their students mostly, but then also teachers. Wow, we are getting a lot. Thank you guys. This is this is a good, I think this is an interesting topic to discuss because I've started to see a move toward this where schools are saying, you know, it's an option or in some cases, this is what we're doing. We're, we're going to be using Chromebooks for staff as well. Um, some of the neat comments in there's, you know, uh, as you scroll through, Stephanie, see if you see something that catches your eye. I'm seeing uh, Sarah mentioning about the touchscreen Chromebooks yeah, for teachers are great because of the annotating options, especially when hooked up to a display like a TV. Yeah, it kind of gives you the, um, you know, the idea of being able to grab your red pen back, you know, and just be able to annotate on things and, and write. Or if you're teaching a lesson, um, if you need to, uh, to annotate things, that's great. Um, Let's see, um, other ones that are catching your eye in there? Um, like a major challenge is the lack of a re, uh, robust whiteboard software. Uh, you know, do you think some people are still using like Smart Notebook? And that would be an example of something where they're like, I'm used to having like a Smart Notebook on my Mac or my PC, and maybe they've invested years into developing, um, you know, uh, files that they use with smart notebook that that could be a possibility. Yeah, and there's uh, another interesting one, Liddy from uh, Dublin. She said that our math and science high school teachers have Chromebooks for annotating. And so I'm wondering yeah. what the ELA and other teachers have. Um, and that's an interesting point, like certain subjects, should they have certain devices? Interesting. Well, these are great comments. Thanks, guys, for sharing all of that. I think um, 
Definitely something that we should keep an eye on because I, I wouldn't be surprised to see more schools considering this. The fact that Chromebooks are easy to manage. Um, you don't have to worry about, you know, virus issues like that, easy to update um, and, you know, reasonably affordable. Um, now, these are more expensive, these um, these ones for teachers. I mean, you know, you think of a student Chromebook, probably what, $200, $250, probably. I mean, I know, I know you can go up and down from there, but that might be kind of like the, the main range. Um, once you start putting in an Intel processor, like an i3, i5, i7, once you put in 16 gigs of RAM or something like that, yeah, your price is going to jump up. It's, it's going to double, you know, at least uh, once you start getting into these. And so uh, that's definitely going to be more expensive than like a student Chromebook. Um, but for, you know, for teacher use, um, that would make make sense. Uh, so yeah, I, I'd love to continue to have this discussion in, in the coming months um, yeah. to see and where people one, go with this. There's two more comments that just came in that I think are really important. Uh, Sarah mentioned that a lot of times teachers don't like Chromebooks because they've seen the student versions or like the older versions that don't work as well, but these new ones yeah. look really slick. Um, so I think that's important to kind of remind teachers that there are different types. <laughs> right. And um, that is, and that's one of the things I'm focusing on in that session at ITIP is yeah. exactly that. It's like, you know, what can you do with a Chromebook that maybe you didn't realize you could? And um, I'll be using my newer Chromebook for that <laughs> to show off some things. What else did you see there, Stephanie? And then Dan, he was asking if anyone has a recommendation for a touchscreen Chromebook. So if anyone does, feel free to. Uh, hit the chat and let Dan know what you recommend. Neat. Um, I did see um, Denny mentioning about Smart Notebook, and I've seen this too about how Smart Notebook is sort of rebranding as Lumio, L-U-M-I-O. It's like a web-based version. Uh, sounds like it still has a little ways to go, but that is the direction that uh, I noticed Smart had. I've seen a lot of blog posts popping about Lumio, and so I looked into it, and it, it is Smart. It's it's their reimagining of their uh, software. So that um, once it's more perfected on a web, uh, the web version, maybe that will help replace that for some people. Good deal. All right. Well, that's awesome. Thanks for, thanks for all of that discussion, folks. Um, and uh, I'm looking forward to diving into my new Chromebook. <laughs> I'll, I'll be doing that after the meeting here tonight. Let's <laughs> see. Um, well, speaking of Chromebooks, uh, right along with that, that same, um, that same blog post talks about the Chromebook repair program. Um, so if you... Um, are wanting to uh, implement a Chromebook repair program at your school because uh, you want to be able to fix the devices yourself instead of always sending them in. Uh, Google has started to pull together some resources to help support you in that. Um, and so uh, if you go into this blog post, you'll see they have created a what they call a playbook for setting up a Chromebook repair uh, program and that they will keep adding more resources to it. Um, my guess is um, if you're at a school where you have a large amount of Chromebooks, uh, you may have already started to implement something like this. Maybe it's with your students, maybe it's part of your high school um, uh, computer tech class, maybe it's your own um, you know, teachers or uh, tech crew. Stephanie, what do you guys do in your Chromebooks? break are you sending them off or are you able to fix some of them internally it depends on what is broken on them uh we try to fix as much as we can in-house 
We also have like a student program where they can help um, fix some of the devices and they put in help desk tickets. So that's kind of really cool that they're starting that young and learning all those different skills if that's a career path that they want to take. Um, but yeah, we try to fix as much as we can in-house and then whatever we have to, we ship out. And I just went ahead and clicked on one of the links in there where it talks about, you know, how they're setting up their Chromebook repair program for schools. Um, and it looks like we've got uh, a guide here that we can download. We've got, uh, we can get information about different parts of a Chromebook and how those can be repaired and uh, specifics on certain makes and models with full repair guides for them. So that's awesome. Thanks, Google. They're starting to, you know, make it easier for us to get, I, I, I've watched a lot of YouTube videos. Let's put it that way. Uh, so like I said, we don't have probably anywhere near as many Chromebooks at the ESC that folks, you know, in a, in a more traditional school would have, but like I said, we support about 300 students. Um, and of course, some of our staff have Chromebooks as well. And as they've uh, broken over time, I've watched a lot of videos on how to, you know, how to get the screen off and how to replace, how to replace it. And, and so forth. So usually for me, it's, it's going to YouTube. So uh, this is good to see the additional support here. Good stuff. Awesome. All right. Well, let's keep on going. And um, what do we have next? I think, um, I think Stephanie, we're down to uh, OS. OS Flex. Are you familiar with that? I am not. So I was kind of reading up on it, but I might need your help to learn more about it. I mean, so, I, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, please. Um, so my understanding of it is if you have a Mac or PC, you'll be able to kind of have the Chromebook experience. Yeah. Okay? So, yeah. So this is this, I don't know if, if you remember, this was a product that Google bought. Do you remember, does anybody recall cloud ready? So cloud ready is a product that's been around for a long time. It was from uh, neverwhere. I think was the company that had created it. Yeah. It was so, so neverwhere created this um, and Google bought them back in 2020. And basically, it's, oh, it's wonderful. I, I've used Neverware on a bunch of old devices. So basically, the idea is if you have a, a Windows device or a Mac that has gotten just too old. I mean, that happens. Eventually, you just got this. This is so old. It's like it just it isn't running well anymore. And, um, you know, what, what are we going to do with it? Maybe just, you know, pitch it. Well, no, before you pitch it, what you could do is you could take Cloud Ready from Neverware, and you could basically wipe the hard drive and reinstall a version of Chrome operating system. Basically, you turned your old Macs and PCs into Chromebooks. And um, it, it because Chrome OS is you know, built on an, a, a, an open system, so they were able to take the core of Chrome OS and make this installable operating system. And I've done this. I've done this with a lot of computers. I mean, I did this back when I was at North Canton, I've done this, you know, at the county office, we've been able to take old computers and breathe new life into them by basically turning them into Chromebooks. Well, Google uh, rightfully saw the value in this and they uh, purchased Neverware and they've been working on um, improving the, uh, the experience. And so now 
it is um, ready, uh, still a little bit beta, uh, but you can come in here and you can download um, the uh, Chrome OS Flex and put it onto a thumb drive. And then what you do is you boot up your device with that thumb drive plugged in. And you may have to make a quick change in the BIOS of the device to say, hey, it's okay to boot from the USB drive. Um, but once you've done that, you can either run the Chrome OS Flex right from the USB drive just to try it out and see, hey, does this work on my hardware? How does how well does this work? And if you're like, that worked great, then you can go ahead and from the thumb drive, install it. And it will wipe whatever's on the PC or Mac, completely wipe it clean, and it will install the Chrome OS on it. Uh, it is free. I mean, you can, you're allowed to do this. It was free before with Neverware. It's, it's still free now. The only place there'd be a cost is if you decide you want to manage them. So be aware if you did this and wiped your computer and put uh, Chrome OS Flex on it, um, it would run like a personal Chromebook. It, it, you know, you could log in and do everything just like a regular personal Chromebook, but you wouldn't be able to manage it like you do with your Chromebooks where you push out extensions and you keep the students from opening incognito mode or something like that. Well, you can, of course, buy management licenses and that's where a cost would come in, but you'd, you'd be doing the same thing for a Chromebook too. You'd be buying management licenses for those. So, um, so this is the article that kind of explains the gist of it. And then a lot of other people have done, um, you know, some additional ones like uh, Chrome Unboxed, uh, went into more details about, you know, about that. And then I did see this article here from 9to5Google that said, although Google's not officially supporting it or recommending it, um, actually, it looks like you could do this on an old Chromebook too. And you say, well, why would you put Chrome OS on a Chromebook? It already has it. What they mean is when your Chromebook hits end of life um, and no longer gets updates, you, you could conceivably wipe the Chromebook and put the OS Flex version on it so it would continue to you know, function after that. So um, that's, that's the main gist of it. Um, but let's pause there and see, did you see any questions or comments about any of that? Or what are your thoughts, Stephanie? I mean, it is really cool that you have that ability, especially for older Chromebooks, because I'm sure there's schools out there that need to update, but they weren't able to. And so this might be a solution right. for them. And what about schools that have decided we're going to buy Chromebooks because all of our old, you know, Windows laptops are, are too old. Well, you know, they could just put this also on those old Windows laptops saying, mm -hmm. yeah, definitely buy the new Chromebooks. But hey, now you've got a bunch of spares. If you really need them, use your old Windows laptops and Chromify them with, uh, you know, Chrome OS Flex on them. Yeah. And Deborah did have a question in the chat. Um, okay. Where did it go? Let's see if I can pull it up. Oh, is it the one about how does this compare with installing yes, um, yeah. other Linux distributions? So um, I'm not sure that I'm going to be able to answer that, Deborah, because um, I don't have a lot of experience with other versions of, of Linux um, uh, as far as how that would compare. Basically, it's like it is Chrome OS. I mean, so, you know, if you do this to, and again, I've done this on, lots of old Windows laptops. When you turn on the laptop, I mean, it's just like booting up a Chromebook. It looks 
exactly like a Chromebook. As far as installing it, though, go. I mean, it's you know the installation procedure is as I mentioned. You're going to put the um, Chrome OS Flex um, file onto a USB drive or USB key. You will boot from that. You may have to change the BIOS on your device so it recognizes that as a viable boot option. And then when it boots up, um, you can run. Chrome OS right from the um, USB key, or you can go to the bottom right corner, click on the system menu, and one of the options will be to install. And if you choose install, then it will wipe your hard drive and install OS, Chrome OS on that. Yeah. Uh, I like how Beth says what's nice is about the test drive. Absolutely. And that test drive isn't just to be like, well, I want to see if I like Chrome OS because you already know if you like Chrome OS. I mean, it is the Chrome operating system. The test drive part of it, what's valuable with that is to find out how well it works on your device because it's possible you've got a device that's kind of unusual. There's something different about this particular make and model of this, you know, Windows laptop or Mac laptop. And so you want to, you, you do want to boot from the um, USB key and try it out for a while without installing it, just running it from the USB key to see, does it recognize the keyboard properly? Is, is the display showing okay? Um, can I use my mouse still? See how well it plays with your hardware. And if it's like, yeah, this it's working great. It seems to be fine. Okay, I'm going to install it now. Then again, you go down to the right, you know, the bottom right corner where your clock is, the, the, the normal Chrome OS system menu. In that system menu, there'll be an option that says to install it. And at that point, it'll wipe everything and you won't need the key anymore. You can just boot right from the hard drive then. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and Joseph brought up a good point about the okay. battery life of old laptops. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. You'll probably need to have things plugged in if you are going this route. But I kind of love what um, I think it was Sally. They put these in their libraries. Um, yeah. And that way, if a kid forgets their device or something like that, they could yeah. just use one of those as a loner. Mm -hmm. um, which is a good idea. Or if a student forgets to charge their device, they have to maybe get an older one and absolutely plug it in. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, it, and it really is. I mean, this this is a, a solution that's been around for a long time. Cloud ready. Um, that that product. I mean, somewhere I'd have to look for it somewhere on my blog. I mean, I remember doing like forever ago. I remember doing a blog post on this. I wonder if I if it's still even on there. Uh, yeah, there you go. So. Here we have uh, January 13th of 2016, turn your old Chrome, old computers into Chromebooks. And so I, you know, this was a blog post I did about, you know, using Neverware, you know, way back then and going in and, you know, making that conversion, you know, and so, you know, so that's, that's been a while <laughs> that this has been around. This is not a, this is not like some new experimental product. It was a fantastic one. And I'm so glad Google saw the value in it and brought that company, you know, with, you know, bought that company and brought them inside. So um, we now can do this, you know, straight from Google as well, but yeah, try it out. Yeah. You know, again, not going to hurt a thing to put it on the USB key and boot from it. And just see how well it works on those old, you know, laptops that you don't even know what to do with anymore. So good stuff. Love it. Well, since uh, since that was one that you weren't as familiar with, do you want to chat about uh, the next one here? There was a lot of neat updates here. I was like, was it the workspace one? Is that where we're at? Unleashed collaboration? Yeah, some of the, yeah, new, some of the new updates that are coming out. Yeah. 
All right. So with the new updates, um, paperless or pageless, not paperless. Yes. Um, so instead of having like page breaks, those you have the option to kind of get rid of that. And mm-hmm. so instead of page one, and then that's like a line Oops, type I break. The wrong oh, that was that's the summary. summary. One. Yeah, I was looking for the one that had the pageless. Yeah. It's just kind of keeps on going right there. Here it this is. One. So it just kind of keeps on going. It kind of reminds me of like a notebook, like a, um, Apple Notes, where it just kind of is like a notes app. And it I like it too, because oftentimes I will have to my screen and so if you do that you can see the text follows it where right now when i have my screen i have like i can't see everything and i have to scroll the other way and so this allows it to kind of auto scroll a little bit i think (laughs) um which looks really cool so that's neat so the pageless uh option um no page breaks uh, no actual, you know, limit to how big the page is. You, you, you can just, you know, increase and decrease the size. And also it looks like uh, they've got an example in here of a, uh, a table and the table gets a scroll bar under it. So, you know, if you've got a really, really wide table, that wouldn't make sense to be able to try to fit onto a eight and a half by 11 page, there's really no limit. Now you can just scroll, 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 scroll. Um, now, have you had a chance to try this out yet? I have not. Have you? I did very briefly. Let's see what happens. Uh, <laughs> I'm afraid to do it on this document. Let me uh, let me open up last <laughs> month's uh, just in case. Uh, let me go ahead and I'm going to open up last month's. Let's change last month's into pageless and just see what happens when we do that. So where it's at, it's in the file menu. So if you go to file and you go down to page setup, um, you'll see it now says pages and pageless. So the normal place you go for you like your margins. So if I hit pageless on this and hit okay, there we go. So now, as you can see, there's no page breaks anywhere. Okay. And if I do adjust the size of my screen here, then yeah, it's like you were saying it, no. See if that does it or not. Yeah, there it is. Now it's starting mm-hmm. to starting to wrap things as it can as I do that. Now I also can change. It's in the view option. Yeah, text width shows up. Whether you want narrow, medium, or wide, how much space you want to give. So if I say wide, it'll spread it out further. Um, and then I can do medium or narrow as well. But yeah, so like if I had a table in here, which I know we don't have in here, but if I were to say, let's insert a table here, insert table, and let's say I make a giant table. So what's going to happen is I get that scroll bar in there. And so I've got all that extra, you know, room to work with now um, that wouldn't make sense in a normal paged document. Mm-hmm. Pretty cool. Sally, it looks like she's tried it. She said, as it works great. And then Deborah was saying that it works really well for the littles, um, which I have not thought about introducing this to younger students. Yeah, really, it is. It's it's, it's a neat concept, right? That why does something, maybe there's something you're working on that's never going to be printed, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. that's possible. You could be doing a project where it's you and other people work and you're never going to print it. It's just going to be a digital 
you know, uh, collaboration spot. So why do pages matter? Why does, you know, eight and a half by 11, why is that important? It's not in that case. And so maybe this would open up, you know, a little bit more of a flexible collaboration environment. Well, we need to, to play around with that. Obviously, what uh, headers and footers would be gone, right? You wouldn't have headers yeah. and footers anymore. So uh, if you're using those, you know, that would be, I, I could see it being an issue if you're like, hey, go to page seven, you know, and, and now you can't do that anymore. So probably you'd want to yeah. use like bookmarks more, yeah. you know, to jump to the different or headings, right? Huh. Yeah. Awesome. And then okay. another one is yeah. summaries. Um, ah. So I use that. Um, I think they call it the outline. I use it a lot just to kind of hop through a, a longer document that has different things. Um, so now you can type a summary or let the computer type your summary and then hit tab, um, which I think will be nice because if you have a big document, someone can quickly say, okay, what is the gist about this? What is it mostly mm. about before they kind of dig in or quickly get an idea of what they're looking at? Um, so it could be really helpful, I think. Um, and yeah. again, I love that overview outline area. Yeah, that, that is nice. Um, I did let it try to do this on a couple. Cause I was curious, like I was thinking, and I, I don't, I don't think it does apply really well, but I was thinking like to help a student like summarize an article, you know, we've talked about things like Quillbot mm -hmm. in the past and tools that give students like a quick summary of the article. Um, I probably won't be able to find it fast enough now, but I uploaded, like I copied like uh, some articles from like Dogo news and put them into a doc. Um, I guess if I went to recent, it might still be in there and I let the AI summary run. Let's see if I find it fast enough. Good. If not, I, I, I can always come back to it later, but I thought, I thought, I thought, uh, yeah, here it is. Uh, so here's one on sharks. So I grabbed this article about sharks and, um, just copied and pasted it from Dogo News right into Google Docs. And now if you click up here, this was the auto-generated summary. It says, this article describes a rare juvenile ghost shark that was caught off the New Zealand coast. The juvenile ghost shark was caught accidentally by a scientist during a recent survey. And so that was AI that basically looked through the article and made a summary out of it. And I don't know, I wonder, you know, would that be valuable? Would that be helpful as well, you know, uh, just to get the gist of an article that a student is reading? Eat. What else? What um, else was in here? And then, real quick, the page list has that been sent out to everybody yet? Because someone was asking if where it was, and I wasn't sure if it's been released. So it is rolling out. Um, yeah. Let me see if they mention in here the the, the time frame. Um, I did not see it like two days ago, and I saw it just yesterday on my account that we just brought up here. So when I go to file and page setup. On my account here, my work account, it's there. Um, two days ago, it was not. So I think okay, it's, so it's it's like probably rolling, rolling out, out now. Yeah. You know? So if you um, don't have it, yeah. just wait. <laughs> it's coming. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so then next up was using that at symbol. Um, and this is kind of nice because it's like the at menu, I think is like what they call it. Uh -huh. And there's just a lot more uh, type of things that you can do when you hit that at. You're able to tag different people. You can start um, meeting notes, which I think is kind of cool. Yeah. You can also pull files in. You can do checklists, numbered lists, bulleted lists. Um, you can add media. 
So just quickly clicking the at symbol, so shift and then the number two, you yeah. can do all these quick things where before you had to maybe go exactly insert or wherever you had to go or comment and tag somebody. Right. And it looks like the new one that's rolling out, they said in the coming weeks is going to be an email draft template. Mm -hmm. So that will be just like the meeting notes. That'll be another one that I guess you can start your email in docs and then you'll be able to push a button and send it over to Gmail. Neat. Yeah. I'm interested because I think there's a couple extensions that currently do that. Like I'm pretty sure with Google. I bet that can make like more attractive looking emails. I'm wondering what that's going to look like, but I also feel like there are a couple people that will write an email in a Google doc. And then when they send it to Gmail, like they'll copy and paste it. It has that line. And so you have to like scroll when you receive it. Have you seen that? Yeah. I think, I think it's because they're writing it in a Google doc. So maybe those people can just send the email from their Doc, oh, yeah. hopefully it goes that'd away. Be, that'd be neat. Yeah. That, that'd be a neat way to, you know, I could see this for like a newsletter. Like if yeah. you wanted to send out a newsletter, um, I mean, I don't know that I would, you know, write an email draft normally in Google docs and send it over. I would probably just be comfortable writing it in Gmail. But what if I was saying, Hey, I want to do a monthly newsletter and maybe I don't want to pay for MailChimp or something like that. Um, if you made it look really pretty in Google docs and then used this button they're mentioning to export it over to Gmail. Not that I couldn't have done it in Gmail, but maybe it'd be more comfortable to design it in docs and then send it over. It might be make for a pretty newsletter. Mm -hmm. That'd be cool. Yeah. And then they're also coming up with a new maps smart chip. So instead of like typing out the location, you'll be able to like link it. So then they just have to kick, click the Google maps and it will take them there. So like if you put in the map link, yeah. it'll do the, oh, yeah, the smart chips mm-hmm. where, yep. So we got happy little map thing. Oh, that's slick. Yeah. That's and nice. then also like Google Sheets. Um, I really like the smart chips and sheets because I'm not the greatest at the formulas and all that kind of stuff. Um, but now if you have it, it will kind of suggest different formulas that you could use. And then it quickly does it for you. Where before I'm like looking it's it up on another so tab. Oh, nice. So I think that will nice. save time. I've used it um, in sheets and it was like, do you want to do it to this one as well to find the sum? And I was like, yes. How did you know? And so it, it formatted it all for me. <laughs> yeah, that's wonderful. I love, 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 love sheets. But yeah, I'm always looking up formulas. Always like, okay, now yeah. what's, what's, the, what's the syntax for that? Uh-huh. I can uh, never remember it. I always have to look it up. <laughs> Well, these are some really user-friendly updates that are coming out. I'm excited to try each of these. Sweet. Well, thanks so much. Um, And then it looks like um, along the same line of search chips, you mentioned smart chips with search chips, um, just that uh, in Google Drive, um, these are now, these have now rolled out. I think it was more of a beta thing uh, back in November of 21. And uh, don't be surprised if you just see this now normally in Drive. And I have the idea that when you type in a search term in Drive and you get your, uh, you know, 
your full list of matches, a lot of times I'll be like, yeah, but I'm looking specifically for a slideshow, you know, and now I've got to wade through everything. Or of course I can go up and click on the little advanced button, but how nice. I don't even have to do that anymore. Instead of using the advanced button, uh, you get all these happy little search chips here. You could say, yep, it's, it's a presentation and, you know, it's something that, you know, um, I modified, you know, sometime this year, and you can very easily narrow down your search. It, it's the same features that are in the advanced search way up here in the, in the search bar, but just convenient, just nice and quick. So I have already used that to help me narrow down through all my massive uh, list of files to find things that I need to find. All right, and the last thing up, what's our final, final? Yeah, a new font. Um, cool. So this new font will make just reading for certain students or even I feel like everybody, if it works for some, it works for everyone, I think. Um, but just easier to read and it should help students um, with their reading. I kind of like the Luxon fonts families as well. Yes. Because it does help those students that really do struggle that extra spacing in between. And so just another option, if you are getting sick of the Luxon maybe and want to switch it up a bit. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is great. So um, I know Roboto has, is a uh, font family because I've used mm -hmm. the regular Roboto font, but this is their uh, serif version of it. Okay. And looks like they kind of built it from the ground up to make it a very legible, readable font. Um, Google has so many fonts available. We're up to over mm -hmm. 1,300, I think. If we go out to fonts.google.com, I think 1,359 font families. Is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, there, yep, there's the new one. Roboto Sheriff or Serif, sorry, is the is the new one that uh, yeah, and you can always come here and sort by by and I'll do this sometimes. I'm a bit of a font nerd. <laughs> I get excited about fonts. Uh, if you go to if you go to the fonts website and you sort by newest, you can see you know as new things come out and be like, oh hey, what's come out recently? What are the new ones they've added? And so the uh, the mm -hmm. Serif version of Roboto has come out, but so has Moolala. So if you want a <laughs> cow themed font what have you been waiting for guys what? there it is you know so uh yeah <laughs> that's funny um and i know like there is a lot of interesting research about fonts um one of my favorite people sadie lewis she is like a font nerd to eric and she that's knows good. like all the different informations about font like i just learned so much from her so there is a whole college course i believe on fonts <laughs> now um has she done uh some like webinars is she a good person to connect with if, yeah. if you want to give her any shout outs there so people can yeah connect i'll put with her, her information i'll try to find the um yeah. the session she did on fonts because she did one with me on color palettes but it wasn't okay. on fonts but fonts it's interesting yeah. too like the size of the a or the size of like right where the lines well, go <laughs> there's a and I know I, sorry for the tangent. <laughs> if you've got Netflix, uh, there is a series where they talk about uh, creative uh, people. And like, there's one episode on architecture and there's one on, you know, fashion design. There's one on fonts. One of the episodes is on fonts and they interview this guy who has designed some of the best known fonts, you know, over, you know, decades and decades and decades. And it was just fascinating because like you're saying 
yeah, there's these little things we take for granted, these mm-hmm. little, little features that you're like, oh, I never even thought about why that would be important to consider in a font. And I, again, I'm drawing a blank what the name of the show was now, but it's on Netflix and I'll, I'll try to look it up. But uh, it's, it's a phenomenal episode. And well, speaking of little uh, things, uh, I, seen, I see that Nicole mentioned about how uh, sh- her concern with, with, with Roboto is the A-N-G being difficult for students to read. And I know what you mean. Like, you know, this is that, you know, fancy A and the fancy G where you had mentioned like Lexand being one that's a lot easier to read. Uh, Lexand is relatively recent in the list here. I shouldn't have to go too far to find it in here, but they have, yeah, Lexand has the, um, uh, the normal, <laughs> you know, A's mm. and G's and not with all the extra little curly things. And I could just search for it, but I thought it was relatively, that didn't come out too long ago. So I think it's, there it is. So here's like the A and the G. I wish that was one of the filter terms in here. I wish from Google fonts, you could just say one of the properties I want is, you know, I'm sure there's a name for it. I want the, you know, regular A and the regular G, not, not those other ones. Yeah. Yeah, and then right. there is a question from Peggy George. Um, where do the Google fonts go when you download them? Do you so, store them in your fonts folder on your computer? Yeah. So you don't really have to download any of these fonts. Um, you can, but you don't have to. If you're in a Google document and you go up to the font menu, I'll go back to our document. Well, now I'll just go last month. So that's okay. If you go up to the font menu at the top of a Google document or a Google slideshow, you'll see the fonts you've got installed. And then you can click more fonts. And then from more fonts, every font you saw that I just listed on the, you know, fonts.google.com site, every one of those are available here. So if I said, okay, I'm looking for that Moolala one that we just saw, uh, Oh, where's Moolala? Is it not there yet? Maybe it hasn't made it over. Um, but if I were to come here and look for, you know, you know, Lexend or something like that, oops, Lexend. Um, so you can see I've already installed them, a couple of them. You can search for a font and then just check it and it will add it to your list. In that case, you're not really installing that on your computer. You're just saying, I want to have access to this web font because those fonts are web fonts. They're actually being rendered live in the browser and being downloaded live from Google's font website. However, if you say I'm using Microsoft Word on my computer, I'm using, you know, um, you know, one of I'm uh, one of the Adobe tools on my computer and I, I want to, I really like, you know, Moolala and I want to use it on my computer. Well, what you can do is you can click on there and you can download it and it'll download it as, as a true type font, a TTF. And so you can download that to your local machine. And then like on a windows computer, if you then right click and install it, it installs it into your fonts folder on your computer. But that's only if you're trying to use it locally on an installed program. If you're doing it on the web inside of a Google Docker slide, it's not really getting installed on your computer. It's just getting added to your list of available fonts there. Yeah. Well, can we get any more nerdy about fonts here today? I don't know <laughs> if that's possible. All right. All right. I think we have hit all of the updates. I think we'll go ahead and uh, switch over to our show and tell. But um, while doing so, um, we can keep scrolling back through and seeing if other things uh, got mentioned that we missed, but thank you guys for the engaging conversation on all of that. That's awesome. 
Good deal. Well, hey, at this point, we're going to move over to show and tell where we share um, some things that we've come across or we've created um, uh, that uh, we think would be valuable for you. Uh, Stephanie, how about if I turn this over to you and uh, you can start off with all the amazing things you have to share every month. Sounds good. I will stop my share and you can have at it. All righty. So for this month, man, lots have been happening. We were just talking too earlier that testing is coming up. Um, I was working with a teacher and we were talking about like the schedule for the next couple of weeks. And we're like, oh, in like four more weeks, there's testing. Um, so I don't know if everyone else is like, oh my gosh, where has this year gone or what? But here are just some of the things that we're working on and some of the things that we're doing. Um, the first thing is the station rotation. So a lot of my teachers use um, blended learning in their classroom. And so this is just a way for them to kind of save some time. They've been putting like the activities that they do off to the side in the gray space of the Google slide. And then they're able to just quickly change, hey, instead of paper slides, I want them to do a video or whatever activity. They can just quickly move the little chips around um, to kind of create what they want their students to do for the day. Um, so we've been just kind of brainstorming together what that's going to look like and um, what we want students to work on. So again, like maybe group one is working on with the teacher, but instead of a small group, it's one-on-one -on -one conference time. So a teacher can quickly grab that kind of chip and then they're able to add that um, onto here if they wanted to. <clears throat> the next thing is learning buffets. Um, so again, providing some choice for students. So this is a slide deck and um, on here, students can kind of pick what they want to work on. So for the first 10 minutes, do they want to do vocab or maybe like an edgy rep? Um, so they get to kind of decide what's going to go on their plate. And then the next one is like the side dish. Do they want to do like a silent debate on Jamboard or do they want to maybe do like a TQE uh, wakelet with a partner? So again, they're just kind of picking different choices that they want to learn more about and they can just drag their little circle and then they have more choice in how they are going to learn and show their knowledge about different material. Um, so again, just a quick fun way for students to learn and provide them multiple choices um, throughout the lesson. And then this one is a choice board. So um, just providing students like three different choices because sometimes they think choice can be too much for students if we give them a lot of choices. Um, so this idea came from Jen Page, like design your own coffee cup. And what students do is they take some type of concept and then I took Slides Mania, well, Icons Mania, the same lady, Paula, and I took her coffee cup because I love how she makes her icons there. She groups them, but then they're like parts of um, the icon. And so right here is the whole icon. And then what we were able to do is we were able to split it up into like the different parts. And then the students can come in and they're able to design their own coffee cup. They can add um, a label on it. They are able to maybe add fonts. They can add different icons on there, like the light bulb that symbolize something that they're reading. And then at the very end, they can kind of talk about um, what they did and how that, why they did it. So like, for example, um, why they picked the colors. Is there a reason that they picked a red sleeve for some reason? Was there something in the story or the concept that reminded them of that color? Maybe the logo, what icon one, icon two, and icon three represent. 
So just a fun idea for students to kind of take that concept and um, explain their knowledge deeper. And then the next one was a book trailer. So right here, um, students had to create a video using WeVideo uh, book trailer. Uh, this was before WeVideo changed their uh, display. Um, so the roadmap is kind of out of order now because of WeVideo changing their setup, but um, everything can kind of be the same um, explanation. So students learned how to use WeVideo. And then once they learned WeVideo, they were able to create their Touching Spirit Bear book trailer. So again, it was a lot of fun for students um, and they did really well. So there was like a rubric and then they kind of worked through how they were going to explain their knowledge through a book trailer. And then also book covers. Um, so again, students could choose this book cover project and they had to uh, create their own book that they wanted uh, or a new book cover for the book that they were currently reading. And so they kind of went in and they were able to design it. They were able to rate the book as well. And then they were also able to write a quick summary about the book. Um, so again, just another fun project and giving students choices on how they want to demonstrate their knowledge. And then this one right here, Class Q, um, I've used Classroom Q. It's a website. If you haven't heard of it, you should definitely check it out. Um, but for this activity, it's kind of different. What we did is we were using Pear Deck and students just quickly kind of moved their red dot for where they needed to be at in the room. Um, so it just kind of helps with some of the management parts of like station one. They can, there's two teachers. So um, they can go to a teacher for help, or maybe they needed to run to the library. However, only two students could go. So students could see the Pear Deck red dot moving between, and they could say, oh, there are um, a spot open to go to the library. I can do that next, or maybe I need to use the restroom. So again, they could see if they could go or not, and it was two students only. And then also other students were working on the independent work. So it's kind of cool for students to see what's available, what can I not go to? What do I need to go to? And follow those different areas using um, slides in Pear Deck. And then these um, are just some fun ideas. So I know with testing coming up, uh, it can kind of make your students, I feel like brain like just kind of they're like, just they're done after testing. Um, so this right here, they can give this book a title they've got all of these awesome activities um, on this website. So if you go to this website, there are so many fun things like this school year I liked, I didn't like, I learned, this summer I plan to, this next school year I plan to. They can think a teacher. Um, and a lot of times what I'll do is, for example, like this one, design a medical mask. I take this and I'll put it in a Pear Deck and have students draw um, their example on there. So again, really fun website that just has a lot of fun, different templates for students to kind of do and be creative with. They have finished these comics. Um, they also have down here, finished the story. So the students really like them when we add these in, or even if you're needing like a quick bell ringer while you're trying to get students organized for the day or as they're walking in, you can have them uh, draw the kid or learn how to do that. They can come down here and learn how to draw a frog or whatever. And so fun, engaging activities for students to kind of dig into. And he's got a ton, like you can see how much I'm still scrolling. Um, so, so many different options on here. And every day, I think you could do something fun and engaging with your students real quickly.
And then this idea of a refocus form is we have a lot of um, students who might be, we were kind of talking earlier about executive functioning skills and dealing with different students who might be off task or something like that. And coming back from COVID, which I know has been a while, but just getting them back in the routine of owning their learning and having that ownership. And so right here is a free focus form for students to just quickly kind of think about how they're doing. So we've been using this to kind of help students that might be off task. Um, I was asked to refocus because, and then they can fill in the blank instead I could have, and then in the future. So just quickly having that conversation with the student or having them write it down. Um, and then just working on more of those solutions and getting students to learn how to own their learning rather than just kind of keeping yelling at them or whatever. Um, we're able to kind of use this to help build a plan of, okay, well, what, what do we need to do to help you um, move forward? Maybe you could have asked for a break instead of act out the way that you did. Maybe you could have um, asked for help when you didn't understand something. Maybe you could have asked a friend for some type of um, advice or something like that. So just using this refocus form has really helped some of our students that might have needed to just refocus real quickly. And then this one right here is a really fun project as well that we've been doing, uh, Character App Store. So students pick a character from a book. And once they have that character, they have to um, complete the brainstorm. So right here is the brainstorm of the character. They summarize the character, what evidence from the book. They summarize the app, and then they explain what the character, uh, how the character will benefit from the app. And then they design their app right here. Um, so I think it was Mandy. She has a really good slide deck where students actually create like an app in Google Slides. Um, so you can kind of see here like all these different options. So I just show the kids like here's a app with four different places and then everything's hyperlinked. And so they create something like that. And then what they do is they rate and review and they get that peer feedback from like an Apple review. Um, Matt Miller also has a really good Apple review here where students can give ratings. They can say like what age group this is for, the developer's name. Uh, they can add images and then students can rate that app. So I love his template um, that we use with this. Um, but it's just, again, it's a lot of fun for students to brainstorm. They pick an app and then once they pick that app, they are able to leave different Apple reviews to their peers to let them know what's going on. And then um, after that, this one's kind of fun and I would love to see in the chat. So let's go ahead and do no teams. Um, this one is guess the Zoom. So if you play kind of like Jeopardy, students maybe pick 200 in and you have to guess what dessert this is. Um, so feel free to take a guess in the chat of what dessert you think this might be. But again, as you're warming up the class, um, this could be just a fun activity for students to try to guess what this is and try to explain and have some fun with what they think this is. Um, I think it's chocolate ice cream, but I don't know for sure. So if you hit the space bar, it is chocolate ice cream. And then there are so many to pick from here that now that team would get that many points. And then you can go to the next one. Okay, what do you guys think this one is? And I think it's spaghetti. 
And then again, the space bar, and there is our answer. And they've got all different kinds. So we did this right before Thanksgiving and the kids just love mud. <laughs> the kids just love this. Um, so it was a lot of fun for students to be like, oh, what is that? And um, we just kind of had a lot of fun of it with it before. So again, tons of them. So you can just kind of click. I don't know what that one is. Um, it says hair. Oh, a mustache. Yep. Okay. So again, you can have so much fun with this. So uh, I, I encourage you to play with your students because they will love, love, love it. Another thing that has been really fun that we've been doing for Black History Month, um, but can be used with anything, is this Pixar in a map, uh, Pixar in a box. So if you've never heard of it, it's on Khan Academy, and on Khan Academy they have all of these different um, activities laid out for students to go through. So they learn how to tell a story. And it's from Pixar. So it's really engaging. It's really interesting on how they organize their storytelling, how they give feedback, all of this kind of stuff. It also takes them through different activities. And so what we did is we kind of went through this and we could created a roadmap for students to travel along and then different like stop points for them to brainstorm and add their ideas to create their character. Um, or to just kind of create their story. So what students are going to do is they are going to have some type of person in Black history that is um, a scientist or an inventor, and they are going to then discover their story. So they are going to kind of talk about the uh, beginning of their life, and then they're going to talk about what they had to overcome, like what barrier that person had to come, because we all have some type of barrier in our life. And then to sum it up, they're going to talk about what they did and how that um, and what they accomplished. And so to organize their story, they're going to use that Pixar in a box framework. And with Pixar in a box, they could use a story spine. So with a story spine, they talk about like once upon a time there was every day, one day because of that, because of that until finally. And so students are going to use this framework to tell their story. And then once they tell their story, they are going to have a choice between a podcast, the documentary, or the book. So again, students are working on this right now, their final projects, but it's just been really cool to see them organize their story um, in an organized way to really show the impact of that person. Um, so it's been really fun to do. And then um, we have some other students that are doing a virtual museum right now. And these kids are so excited about their museums. It's been fun to kind of go in today. And they were all like, the teacher was like, who wants to show Miss Howe their virtual museum? And I had a, like a whole line of kids just so excited to show these. Um, so the first thing that students do is they create their virtual museum. Um, so down here, David Lee created this template and it's amazing. Um, it's got a couple different options for students to pick what their virtual museum will look like on the outside. And then once the students walk in, they have a whole map. They've got all these different rooms. And so our students are doing it with Mesopotamia for social studies. And they are going to find artifacts and create like exhibits for those artifacts. So right here, students are going to place different images. Um, one of the kids, it was really cool connection, I thought. They had letters um, from Mesopotamia, like what they used to write. And she linked 
Wordle. <laughs> and so um, when she when she linked Wordle, it took the took the person to Wordle and she was telling me she she didn't finish her project yet, but she was telling me that this is their language and this is like our language right now, like how we play with our words and that kind of stuff. So it was just a fun connection that the kids were making um, with this old civilization to our current um, way of living and that kind of stuff. So again, right here, um, the students put in their pictures and then they add additional information and everything's already hyperlinked. Thank you, uh, David Lee for doing that. And so you would just click and then they can review. So right here, there's like a slideshow. And again, you just click like lobby and you're back in the lobby. And this is how the final view would be as the students are done creating. Um, so again, lots of fun uh, for the students to kind of do and they're having a blast right now. And then what we are going to do um, is we are going to have a virtual like gallery walk. So once we have all these projects, we are going to do a gallery walk to give peer feedback. So we are going to be using the Edu protocol. It's pretty new. Um, it's called We the People. And with that, you have all the students and they put all of their information in this like spreadsheet. So every single information is in the spreadsheet and then every student gets like a number. And so with that number, the students are going to then go to like their tab and they are going to a view and go like on their gallery walk to all of these different projects. And so they'll just click and they'll go to project one, project two, and so on. And as they're doing that, they are filling out a feedback form. So the feedback form, um, let's see if I can find it, is just a Google form. And then with that Google form, the students will then get their feedback and they will copy and paste their information. It's all by numbers. So everything's like anonymous. And then they can reflect on how they did. And then the teacher can look at their scores and decide, yeah, you agree with those scores or I'm going to overwrite it. Um, and she can actually use that for information if she wanted to. Um, so again, it's going to be a lot of fun. The kids are having a blast. And right now they're in the middle of creating. So tomorrow they're actually, today they should be finishing up their project. And then tomorrow they're going to go on their virtual gallery walk. So we're getting all that set up today. Um, so yeah, it's been a lot of fun doing that. And then I just added Sadie's information here. She's on Twitter. I did not find her recording on her YouTube. I think it was on Zoom, so it might be private. Um, but she is a good follow. You can kind of see here, like she's into colors and fonts. So if you are a font nerd like us, Sadie is someone you want to follow. And then Eric, whenever you're ready. Oh, that is great. Yes, I will definitely connect with her. Awesome. Thank you so much. Well, as always, uh, people are raving, Stephanie, for everything you have shared <laughs> in the chat. Uh, people saying how you find the most amazing apps and tools and you are the bomb and so creative. <laughs> and do you ever have downtime? <laughs> so uh, <laughs> Uh, people uh, very much appreciate everything that you do and share. And and do you get downtime? How do you... I do? I do have. I go to bed at eight. Um, which oh my sounds... gosh! Really? Yeah, yeah. It's it's a fun fact about me. If you're curious, um, <laughs> but I wake up at four. That doesn't sound very um, fun. <laughs> I wake up at four though. Like I'm a morning person for sure. I'm not a night owl. <laughs> 
Well, just one more reason <laughs> we complement each other well as uh, hosts of this, because there are times I've gone to bed at four. Uh, oh my, no. You know, and, well, maybe not quite so bad, but two, yeah. I mean, uh, two, 2 a.m. is not unusual. I just, I think better at night for some reason. And well, I mean, I think I do. Maybe I don't. Maybe I'd be fine to get up in the morning too. But uh, my my current uh, biological clock seems to have me staying up till about one or two. Yeah. <laughs> so, awesome. Well, hey, um, let's go ahead and take a look at a few show and tell things uh, that that I've got that I have here. And then um, thank you for those who have started to put things in the community section. Um, please continue to add things there. If you've got something to share and any questions and answers, please feel free to add your suggestions in here as well to answers for people. That would be fantastic. So a couple of quick things to share in my show and tell. Um, I have not posted much in this last month. It's been a really busy month, a lot of training. It's sometimes you just, that's life. And so uh, mostly I've been doing blah, 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 talking in front of people and not actually creating new content uh, this last month. So I did do um, one blog post on a self-checking translation quiz in Google Sheets. And uh, as we mentioned before, Sheets are wonderful. We love Google Sheets and you can just do so many creative things with them. And so what I ended up doing was combining a couple of things that I was aware of and kind of just mashing them up together. And that is the fact that Google Sheets does support translation. There is a function in Google Sheets, um, the uh, translate function. Uh, I wonder if I, I can't remember if I actually explain that in the blog post or if I just talk about yeah, there it is. So it's the, I thought it was in there. So Google Translate is the is the actual function. There is a function that you can translate words from one language to another in Google Sheets. Well, I mean, that's not new. I, I mean, I've been aware, I think a lot of people have been aware that existed, but I thought, well, what if we partnered that with some conditional formatting and made a self-grading translation quiz? And so that's what this template is. And so you can head to the link, get a copy of the template right below the video. Uh, there's the template. And basically the first tab is just, you know, directions. But then when you come over here to the second tab, and I'll zoom in just a little bit so we can see this a little bit better. We'll bump that up a little bit. There we go. Um, the idea is that this is something that as like the, the teacher would not have to go in and, you know, create a key because anything that you put in here, Google's translate you know, feature can translate it in the background. So a student could quiz themselves. The idea is you're going to pick a source language and a translated language. So let's say, you know, I am, um, I took French when I was in high school. So let's say I'm, you know, trying to practice my French. So I could say, okay, I'm going from English to French. And so now I could come in and I could just start typing in words. So I could type in like the word dog. Um, well, at that point, it's waiting for me to type in the translation of it. And if I'm like, well, I don't remember, you know, what it was, you know, you know like if maybe if I thought it was, you know, chat, that's for cat rather than dog. Uh, if I put in like the wrong word, it's going to turn, you know, red. It's, you know, going to, you know, tell me that's wrong. Um, and that's just using the conditional formatting rules that we've used in some of these other spreadsheets in the past. But then what I decided to do was not just have the student like, well, I guess I'm wrong. I don't know what the answer is. I went ahead and put these other columns in here where they can get some, some 
hints if they're trying to, okay, so what was that word again? I can't remember. Well, they can check boxes like how many words are in the answer? Well, it's just one word. How many letters are in it? Oh, there's five letters in it. Okay. Well, what's the first letter? Well, it was a C and an H, but huh, it wasn't, oh yeah, that's right. It was, you know, of course they could also do like, do like the last letter and realize, oh yeah, that's right. It wasn't that. It's uh, it's Shein. That's, that's a dog in French. And, you know, by getting these hints, they could not quite get the full answer. They could just get little bits to help them as they're trying to type those in uh, anywhere from first, second, third letter, all the way to last letter, or just the full answer. If they just like, that's it. <laughs> I give up. I cannot figure it out. They can always just check there and it'll give them the full answer. But like, you know, if the original thing was like a phrase, like, you know, that's life instead of, you know, just a word. Well, you know, in this case, you know, we're now typing in an entire, you know, phrase being translated and knowing how many words are in it. The fact that, well, it's three words rather than, you know, that's life, which is two words. You know, you might realize, oh, yeah, it's, you know, c'est la vie. And, you know, boom, you'd be able to get that. But again, the idea is this will tell you how many letters, how many words, and give you hints as you go. And uh, then give you the, you know, the, the feedback there with uh, red and green colors. So, hey, you know, wh whichever way, whether you're going from, you know, uh, the language you're learning and you're translating it into the language you know, or if you're starting with the language you know and you're trying to write up the language you're learning, uh, either way, this is nice because, again, you the teacher doesn't have to pre-populate this with the text. You can use the same sheet over and over and over and over again and just keep putting in new things because in the background, that translation function is, is running and doing all of that. So, so fun, neat, neat stuff. So feel free to uh, make a copy of that and play around with that if you'd like to. And if you want to learn uh, more of the nerdy stuff in the background, I do have at the bottom of the blog post after talking about how to use the tool, I do talk about the nerdy stuff. <laughs> like, you know, what's actually happening? What formulas am I using? How am I doing the like all of the clues and how am I doing the conditional formatting and making it match properly and so forth. So if you want to see uh, behind the scenes, all of that is in there as well. Uh, next up, uh, just a reminder, I do have the uh, free webinar coming up uh, on March 8th about Moot. Um, I did um, go ahead and already put in the link to the slideshow and the agenda document. I may be tweaking those between now and then, may add a few more things in there. Uh, but if you want to get a, a preview of what's going to be in there, uh, this is the agenda document here. Um, and then the slideshow, of course, is linked in as well. Uh, basically, what we're going to be talking about is, you know, what is Moot? and how to set it up and install it. And then just run through lots of ideas, creative ways to use it in docs, ways to use it in slides, forms, classroom, and on and on down the list. So um, definitely uh, sign up for that one if you're interested. Again, there's no, like, you don't have to register, but there's a, a link here you can add it to your calendar so that you can uh, uh, get back to it quickly when that time comes. Uh, Speaking of sheets, though, uh, a lot of neat things got posted uh, sheet related in the last month that I grabbed. Um, one was an awesome post by Ben Collins. Ben is a, a sheet guru. Uh, he did a blog post about he created an Etch-a-Sketch game inside of Google Sheets. Like you can do almost anything in Sheets. And so he, again, takes some time and explains how he built it, what the formulas are, how it works. And if you go all the way to the bottom, you can then get a copy of it. And I think I made a copy. Here's some, here it is. And so basically what you're going to do is you're going to click on the left, right, up and down buttons. And each time you click and unclick, 
it's going to draw. So if I click and unclick, I'm starting to draw. <laughs> and so I am literally drawing inside of Google Sheets with, uh, I'm do do doing an Etch-a-Sketch inside of Google Sheets. <laughs> it's just amazing uh, how, uh, how creative uh, that is for him to, to do that, which then sent me down another rabbit hole uh, with Tyler Robinson's Google Sheets games and activities. And so here's a resource link out to a sheet that has uh, a large collection that Tyler Robinson has created. Um, he, he previews them one at a time on the first tab, but if you go to the second tab gallery, you can see all of them. And if you go to the third tab full list, you just get a listing of them. And these are just really neat activities he's created in Google Sheets, including a Google Sheets version of Wordle. As <laughs> you had mentioned Wordle earlier. Uh, yeah, the last one here, he calls it Sheetle. Uh, and uh, I already made a copy of it here. Um, and it is, it's Wordle. <laughs> so if I came in here and I don't know if you have your own starting word. I, I use the word raise as my starting word. I guess we all kind of have our, our own starting word. Uh, it's usually the one I kick things off with. And it actually pulls from, you know, the master list and you can play Wordle right inside of Google Sheets. Now, as fun as that is, what I love about all of these, the ones that the, the Etch-A-Sketch from Ben, uh, Sheetle, or all of Tyler's other ones, uh, where's, I just lost Tyler's page, there it is, is learning how they did that. You know, going in and looking at the formulas and, and learning new tips and tricks on how to use these tools. So uh, if you're a spreadsheet nerd like me, yeah, as much as I love fonts, I think I, I love sheets probably more. Uh, I'm, I'm a very, very much a spreadsheet nerd. It's been really inspiring for me to learn from Ben and Tyler and these other folks, the amazing stuff that they create. So wanted to share those with you. Um, Ben did have another post I liked this, this month about using Google Sheets with Glide. And again, not a new thing. Glide's been around for a long time, but a really nice post explaining how it works. If you don't know what that is, the elevator pitch is Glide is a tool that lets you create mobile apps using Google Sheets in the background. So it's like flippity but for mobile apps, like you can actually create, you know, a conference app or you can create uh, a museum app or all kinds of apps and it's pulling from Google Sheets and it will create a mobile app. And uh, he did a nice job explaining how that is done. Uh, next up, I want to mention something free, which we always love free things. So I think last month I talked about Mergo, uh, the free mail merge tool. The same company has Folgo uh, this month for free. Um, and this is an add-on for Google Drive that does something that I just wish was part of Google Drive. And that is to copy all files in a folder. If you've ever tried this, there is no easy way to just right-click on a folder and make a whole copy of a folder or a folder tree. You have to select all the files individually and make copies and that's a mess. This will automate that process, as well as doing other things like transferring ownership and uh, listing all the files in a folder and so forth. Well, this is a commercial product, but just like Mergo was, until the end of the month, you can get it for free. And so the idea is somebody in your domain, some you know, whoever your tech director is, whoever manages your Google domain, needs to come here and install, push out Folgo, Folgo um, to your domain. And after they've pushed it out as an add-on, there's a form to fill out here and you will get free lifetime 
uh, the full version, no strings attached. It's just a commitment this company has toward education. And so um, if you missed the one on Mergo last month, don't miss this one. Get there and get it signed up so that your entire domain can have this uh, add-on for free for life. And they do have one more. I'm hoping will be next month. They've got uh, PubGo or something like that. It's like a, um, um, I'm trying to remember what that one does. I'm drawing a blank now on what it does um, because Mergo was the merging one. This is for folders and they've got one other tool that they make. Uh, so I'm going to keep an eye out and see if, if they uh, make that one free next month. And then the last thing I had um, kind of uh, something that may not apply to everybody, but um, I think since we were talking earlier about having teachers using Chromebooks, this kind of applies. And here's the idea. If you are wanting to use a Chromebook to do more advanced tasks, you know, Chromebooks are able to run more and more and more things. There is still, you know, a limit at a certain point, because let's say you wanted to have a, let's say you wanted to run the full version of Microsoft Word. Let's say you wanted to run AutoCAD. Let's say you wanted to run, you know, Adobe, you know, Premiere or something that's, you know, something that has to be installed, you know, locally on a computer. Well, you can't do that on a Chromebook. Things have to be, you know, web delivered tools. Well, one way around that is by using VD, VDI, uh, Virtual Desktop Infrastructure, where basically you have a server somewhere. And on that server, you've got the actual software installed. And then on your Chromebook, you simply connect to it. And from your Chromebook, your screen now changes to show you that server. And it's like you're sitting at a Windows computer um, or you're, you know, you're, you're, you're running the programs off of that server, but they're showing up directly on your Chromebook like you're logged in. Well, this can be a lot for a district to set up. I, I get that, you know, you've got to have a server and you've got to be able to install everything on the server. Well, there's a company called Cameo that uh, Google is now uh, pulled into the recommended program that can help folks if this is something you think you need to do by um, saying you don't even have to have your own server. You can, Cameo can, will provide the servers. It's all in the cloud and they'll host all of the, you know, Microsoft Word or whatever the programs are that you need to run. And you can just pay them a monthly, you know, subscription cost and your Chromebooks can connect to the Cameo servers and run those. Um, so I don't know a ton more than what I just shared with you there. There's a nice uh, article here from Chrome Unboxed that goes into more details about it. This may not apply to a lot of folks, but if you're at a situation where your district is saying, okay, we really want to move away from, you know, Windows laptops or, you know, MacBooks or something like that, and we want to use more Chrome devices, if you hit that roadblock where there is something we need to run that cannot be installed on a Chromebook, VDI is an option. And so in this case, Cameo would be at least a consideration if you're like, well, we don't want to take the time to set up our own servers and all that. Um, you could instead um, do it through a subscription model with Cameo. So something to consider. All right. So those are the things I had come across um, in the last month. Uh, I do see we did get some community show and tell here. So thanks, guys. Um, I did see uh, Dan from Neonet uh, shared a uh, Twitter post uh, that uh, they had shared recently about um, tools that 
allow you to not, you know, create things from scratch. You don't have, don't have to reinvent the wheel. Uh, so uh, free, ready-to-go lessons, activities, and resources, things like uh, Flipgrid and TED-Ed and quizzes and Nearpod uh, and Library of Congress and EverFi and so on. So thank you for sharing that resource, Dan. And then I see Jeremy. Thanks for joining us today, Jeremy. Uh, Jeremy mentioned about a, uh, a new website called, I think it's Explorer Classroom. It's missing some vowels because, you know, that's the way we do things. Uh, and <laughs> when we uh, when we name products, but I, I think I probably pronounce that Explorer Classroom probably or Explore Classroom. I'm not sure. Uh, but what is it? Well, if I scroll on down here to their FAQs, they describe themselves as a single platform for educational video, lesson plans, and professional development. We enable teachers to focus on helping students catch up, get ahead, and accelerate learning. So thanks for connecting us to that new product. Uh, if you want to take a look at that, uh, the link is there. Thanks, Jeremy. Appreciate that. Uh, and then um, our last main section uh, that uh, we're going to hit here with our last uh, 15 minutes would be uh, Q&A. So if you guys have um, any more questions to add, this is a great place to put those in. But also if you have answers to the questions, we would love to hear from you because you might uh, uh, have experience with some of these things. And please just feel free to type in here and add your own answers in. Uh, so some of the questions we've received this month includes one about um, are there, is there a way to get consortium pricing and purchasing for equipment or in software in Ohio? And it does look like we did get an answer from somebody here uh, that many vendors provide an education discount. Uh, for example, CDW um, has their educational purchasing consortia. Um, so I don't know the answer to this one. I'm not in a position now where I'm buying things. I have not been in a district for nine years now, I guess. And so I've not in a I've not been in a spot where I need to actually make purchases now. So I apologize. I don't have a quick answer to this. If somebody else is here watching and uh, can speak more toward, you know, the best way to get, you know, uh, uh, consortium prices in Ohio. Um, I do normally recommend people check out the Ohio Tech Coordinators Listserv. I think that might be the uh, more appropriate uh, venue for that sort of a question. If you're not familiar with it, Ohio Technology Coordinators uh, Coordinators uh, listserv. Let's see if I can find that fast enough uh, there. And if so, I can drop that link in there. So this is the Tech Coordinators Listserv for the state of Ohio, and you can uh, uh, subscribe to that. And uh, this is pretty much all of the technology coordinators around the state. And they discuss lots of things that are more of a technical nature, where I think a lot of times what Stephanie and I discuss here, more curricular, you know, in, in essence, you know, how to use technology, you know, for the teaching and, and learning uh, in class. Uh, but here, let me copy this link and let me put this over into here. We'll say this is the Ohio Tech Boards Listserv. And... Uh, that would get you to that page and you could sign up and be a part of that group. Those discussions, I think, would be very welcome in, in, in a group like that. Uh, next up, there's a question about looking at sketchnoting in a science classroom. Are there any tools that you'd recommend? Love to hear from other folks. You know, what have you used to do sketchnoting? Um, 
specifically in a science classroom, but I guess sketch noting in general, are there any tools you've had success with? Uh, I did throw in a few quick ideas, but uh, please don't take these as, as the ultimate <laughs> answers here. I'd love for other people to add what they've used. Uh, I think something like, you know, Jamboard certainly could be a good tool for this, especially if you're running the mobile version of Jamboard. So if you uh, have a Chromebook that will support Android apps, the mobile version of Jamboard has even more features in it than the web version, including auto draw. Auto draw is built right into it. So you can just start sketching things and auto draw will try to guess what you're drawing and can replace your your doodles with uh, more professional clip art. And so it can lend itself nicely to sketch noting. If you feel like, ah, I'd like to do sketch noting, but you know, I'm not very good at drawing. Well, with Jamboard, uh, we'll just put that in the mobile version. A mobile version includes AutoDraw. And again, you can run the mobile version on a Chromebook um, if you've got that turned on for your Chromebooks. Um, not a Google tool, but Canva. Can't say enough nice things about Canva. It is completely free for educators. No strings attached, no gotchas. It truly is free. You can go to Canva for Education and sign up. Um, amazing drawing uh, or publishing desktop publishing tool, uh, but they have added drawing tools into Canva as well. So you can just do, you know, in addition to having all of the features you normally have in Canva, being able to grab all the clip art and text, you can also just hand draw right inside of Canva as well. I could see that being really good for sketch noting. And then there and is I, the curse. Oh, go oh, ahead, God. please. Yes, definitely. And I yeah. would also reach out to Jen Giffen and. Um, oh, yes. I mean, she's got so many resources on sketch noting too. Yes, I think I think that's a really good point. So, um, yeah, I would say yeah, if you were to contact, whoops, and I'll put her contact Jen. Yeah, it should be a virtual gift, right? Yep. Yep. Um, Carrie so, Bauckham too is another good one. And then um, try to think who else. Um, but yes, if we want to throw in some of these people in there, Carrie Bauckham, absolutely. Um, there'd be some you know great people to include uh, in there. Yeah. Uh, looks like we're getting some other good ones here though as well. Seesaw, Pear Deck, Nearpod, OneNote. Um, uh, PhotoP, yeah, PhotoP is a really cool tool. So PhotoP, I would say this one, I don't know if I'd compare it to Canva, I'd more compare it to Photoshop. So PhotoP is like a, uh, a, a graphic, uh, like a digital image editing tool, similar to like Photoshop, and it's created by this one person, and it's totally free. And like, they've dedicated their life to it. And they just, they have made this amazing tool and it's just completely free. So uh, that's that's a great tool as well. Um, good stuff. And I had started to mention Cursive. I haven't played with it too much. It only runs on Chromebooks, but it is a note-taking app that runs on Chromebooks specifically. And so good for drawing and taking notes. So a lot of possibilities to explore there. Good job, guys. Thanks for sharing all these ideas. Um, I did see Peggy asked if you have to be an Ohio Tech coordinator to join the listserv. I'm not aware of there being a requirement. Um, it really is just a regular listserv. Like if you 
do what it says, you know, send an email to this address, you will be subscribed. I think the issue would be if somebody um, was like spamming the list, like if somebody joined and they were actually a vendor and they're like spamming the list with stuff, you know, they, they get booted <laughs> off of it. But no, it, it, there's not like a approval process you go through. You simply just say, send an email as it says to there and boom, you are on, you're on the listserv. Yeah. But uh, again, yes, I could see them booting somebody off if they were not, uh, if they were not uh, using it appropriately. All right. And let's see if we have anything else here. Um, have a question here uh, that we don't have an answer for yet, but it's a common one. We've got a lot of people that seem to be stuck with a lot of VR headsets that they bought back when they were using Google Expeditions and now they're not sure what to do. So they've got some Lenovo Mirage VR headsets that they used with Expeditions and now um, they're not sure what to do with them. Any suggestions? I know this question has come up before, so it may be worth looking back at the Q&A and some earlier um, months, I swear we've had this come up before and I'm pretty sure a pretty good list of VR alternatives have been uh, listed, but um, I don't know um, which months those were. So we may have to take a look and see. And then what do we have left here? Love classroom screen, but the free version does not allow saving the screen. Does anybody have a template that includes some of the features in classroom screen or are they just the gold standard? I have not used classroom screen much myself, so I can't speak that to one. that one. I make my own in Google Slides, okay. but I know it has a lot of features like a timer and that kind of stuff, but I don't know. Yeah. So I apologize. I don't have experience with classroom screens. So that's not one that I'll be able to speak to. But again, if somebody is uh, watching live or watching the recording in the future, hey, the, you'll continue, you can still add to this document. Eventually, we switch the document from edit only to um, to from edit to comment only. But you can still just type in there, and I'll go in and it'll, we'll go in as a suggested edit, and then we'll just go in and, and approve it later. So you can always uh, type that in. Uh, later on. And then it looks like we've got a question here about has anybody found a resolution on the issue with the camera not showing connected between Chrome OS and the Lenovo N2223? So if that is something you're aware of, uh, looks like there's some uh, question about that. Again, nothing I've got any experience mm -hmm. with, but please, yes, throw that out to the group here. Maybe somebody has some experience with that particular model, and this is an issue they've seen as well. So absolutely, yeah. Uh, I think that's great. Please ask questions here. I mean, maybe, you know, somebody in the community will, will be the right connection for you to answer some of these. Well, guys, we are down to our last couple of minutes. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to do a little bit of wrap up. And while I'm doing that, uh, Stephanie, if you want to look through to see if there's any more comments or chat messages or anything we missed. But uh, what I'm going to do is just, first of all, thank you guys so much again for taking two hours out of your day to hang with us. We really appreciate your commitment to uh, your students and your teachers that you support and your own professional development. So thank you so much uh, for being with us here today or watching the recording uh, in the future. A couple quick reminders to you if you did not get a chance to sign in on page two of the agenda highlighted in green under, import, under important links. There is a sign in form and allows us to send you a certificate 
of attendance. Um, also want to remind you that in between the meetings, um, please stay in touch by joining our Google group. Uh, so you can uh, email with all the other members, uh, as well as our Facebook group, if you uh, uh, like to use Facebook as well to stay connected. Our next meeting is going to be about a month from now. Uh, we always try to be at the tail end of the month. So for March, that will be Thursday, March 31st at 1 p.m. Eastern again. Um, and uh, we'll get links to all of that, you know, added in uh, afterwards. Usually I create that agenda and create the YouTube link uh, after each month. So we will add in those links so that you can get them added onto your calendar as well. Other than that, uh, Stephanie, any last uh, minute comments here? I don't see anything. Just a lot of thank yous. And this has been wonderful. And yeah. And it's all because of you guys, too. You help out in the document and on the chat. So thank you for that. Absolutely. It's all about, yeah, it's all about the community and all of the wonderful questions and resources and links and suggestions you guys uh, share. So fantastic. Well, again, thank you guys so very much for being a part and we will see you next month and we'll see you in the uh, Google group in between. Otherwise, take care and have a wonderful, wonderful rest of your day, everybody. All right, bye guys.